Thank you, Gleaves. It's a, a privilege to be here, and this is a subject that I uh, dearly love. I am a very serious uh, book collector. Um, I've told my wife that on the last day that I'm alive, I want her to put the book that I'm reading right on my chest so I've got something to read on my way up. Pretty presumptuous of me, isn't it? <laughs> I said in my earlier presentation that in 1945, the scholar Jay Monahan did a Lincoln uh, bibliography, and he cataloged 3,598 books. That seemed like a lot, but what has happened in the interim has literally been an explosion. Today we believe, somebody has counted, that there are 16,000 books and articles about the President of the United States. And so, what I'm going to try to do, this is going to sound a little bit more like a classroom, uh, I'm going to try and help you, if you don't already know a lot more than I do, uh, about this literature and People frequently ask me, what should I read? Uh, which biography should I read? What, what should I believe about Mary Todd Lincoln? Uh, what should I believe about Lincoln's position on slavery? What's fact and what's fiction? And so that's kind of the purpose of, of my uh, presentation. And understand at the outset that I've read only a fraction of that mammoth uh, collection of 16,000 books and articles, but I've read quite a bit and I have a pretty strong library. Is there anything left to be written about about Abraham Lincoln? In 1984, Herbert Mitgang, who himself is a Lincoln scholar, composed an article for the New York Times entitled, After 175 Years, They Still Pursue Lincoln. And his reference was to an article that was written 50 years before by James G. Randall. And I'll mention James Garfield Randall a number of times. He was a very distinguished professor at the University of Illinois at Champaign. And I'll mention also later that most of us judge that his four volumes uh, represent the best multi-volume biography or, or at least four-volume biography of Abraham Lincoln because Randall had entitled his article, Has the Lincoln Theme Been Exhausted? Well, his first volume came out in 1945, so if Randall were standing here, he'd have a grin as wide as his face saying, I guess not, because there have been thousands of books on Lincoln since that. Well, Mitgang, in this article that's my core reference, answers his own rhetorical question in quoting Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln said, we cannot escape history. We will be remembered in spite of ourselves. To vividly illustrate the depth of this interest and in research and writing and examination of Lincoln, I refer to an article that James I. Robertson wrote. Uh, he's the guy who uh, retired and he's Professor Emeritus at Virginia uh, Tech uh, at Blackburn, Virginia. He's the great Civil War historian. You may know him. He has written the best biography of Stonewall Jackson and the, and the Stonewall Brigade and, and, and so forth. But he, he, wrote the, <clears throat> he wrote an article for Civil War Times and he told a wonderful story about an amateur historian who was telling other people that he was going to write a new book on Lincoln and his focus was what Lincoln did on Sunday. And the person he was talking to said, gosh, 
isn't that a little bit narrow and restricted? And the amateur historian said, it's sure not, that was one-seventh of his life. Well, that sounds far-fetched, but let me lead by that to say that there was a team of 35 historians that really sought to compile what happened in every day of Lincoln's life. And in 1960, during the Lincoln Sesquicentennial Commission, they, these two, or two or three, three volumes came out, and it's called Lincoln Day by Day. It's one of the classic works, and they were able to record what Lincoln was doing on 19,700 of the days of his life. That's not every day, but the great majority. So they looked for what was the most significant thing that was happening on every one of those days. I don't own that, but I'm going to own it. Uh, I just went on, uh, went on ABE Books, and a real good quality is about $250. I'm going to wait till the excitement over Lincoln dies down a little bit, and the price will go down a little bit. But I need that in my library. So it's like a diary. And then Robertson finished his, his piece by writing, incidentally, on July, excuse me, incidentally on Sunday, October 10th, 1958, Lincoln spent most of the afternoon writing a speech he was going to give later in Quincy, Illinois. So the guy that was going to write about what Lincoln did on Sundays, there's apparently some reference to that in this wonderful work. On October the 7th, 2008, in an issue of USA Today, there was an article entitled, quote, The Troubled Nation Looks to Lincoln, Historians Ponder Enduring Legacies, Lessons We Can Learn. Well, the writer was a guy named Gary Levin, and he was quoting a publisher of books, some of which were on Lincoln, and this publisher, Jonathan Crape, said, Lincoln is an evergreen. The interest is inexhaustible. Well, I wish I was making this presentation today in the library with a great Lincoln collection because I would treat all of you like fellow students and we would go into the stacks and, uh, and we'd start pulling books off and, and do it that way. In fact, I wish you were at my home in Ludington because I don't have a great Lincoln collection, but I have about 250 volumes. And uh, when I was a graduate student, I always loved it when a professor would, regardless of the course, would help us understand what we ought to read. If I was taking a course on the age of Jackson, a great professor would tell me what is the best one or two biographies that have been written about Jackson because, and I know you're all teachers so you've got lots of knowledge, but when you're a graduate student you're just learning and you could easily read something that's not very good and we all have limited amount of time to read. and. So I did my master's at Central Michigan University and their library is called the Park Library and, and when I say this you're all going to think I'm a terrible nerd but uh, when I took a break, when I took a break from studying and being in class I went to the library because I loved the literature so much and I would go into the stacks and just pull books off the shelves and read maybe the preface, introduction or what it said in the dust jacket and uh, and just love that experience. And I like it so much that in my own home now, I have created stacks. So when I want joy and I want break, I go to my space and go into my stacks and literally do the same thing. So you already heard what my purpose is. And what, let's start uh, with talking about bibliography. And uh, 
I've got to walk around a bit now because I want to give each of you some copies of bibliographies and the one that I've prepared first is a compilation of uh, some of the really new books and I started with books that were published in 2005 because I'm pretty sure they were getting ready for the bicentennial uh, and I don't mean to think that I've caught every single one but I pay a lot of attention so I, I bet I've got at least 95 percent and uh, maybe one of you would help. Would one of you help me kind of a distributor for me and give everyone? I'm going to do this about three times. Thank you. And I want to do a little highlighting, and I'll do this quickly because I don't I don't want to go through every uh, every book on the list, but there are some very significant uh, works that I want to call your attention to and when I do that that doesn't mean that I've read every single book on this list but the second one down uh, Gabor Borat uh, if you don't know him he's the director of the Civil War uh, and Lincoln Institute at Gettysburg College and he's he's written this new book on the Gettysburg Address uh, down to the fourth one, Berkheimer, Michael Berkheimer. There's been a lot of study and question about, you know, was Lincoln a person of faith? And, and, and obviously Lincoln grew in his faith. Early on, we would call him a deist. Uh, and uh, he certainly wasn't a Christian. Uh, but this book is one of the best that I've ever read called Lincoln's Christianity. And clearly as the war goes on Lincoln becomes more and more faith-filled and that's a subject for other discussion. Well, the next one is really important Michael Burlingame and I'm going to mention him a, a lot uh, he has just produced a two-volume biography of Lincoln uh, I think the publisher made a mistake because they're great big thick tomes and and for me as much as I love Lincoln I hesitate tackling a book that I'm going to just read and read and read. Uh, I love to read, but I like to finish it and go on to something else. And it's just like I mentioned Robertson's uh, Stonewall Jackson. That's about 890 pages, and then, you know, when you quote more than eight lines, you have to indent it and make the print smaller. And he quoted a lot, so it seemed like I read for 10 minutes to get through one page. And it took me a long time, even though it was a great book. So I don't know when I'm going to tackle Burlingame's book, but, it's, it, but it's, it's going to be a great book because we'll talk about the new research. Um, Burton Vernon, The Age of Lincoln, is getting a, a lot of play. Um, so is the next one, and then drop down to Richard Carwindine. He is a professor at Oxford, so he's an Englishman, Englishman and his book uh, is going to rank as one of the best biographies of Lincoln. Catherine Clinton, brand new book on, on, on uh, Mary Todd, which is also getting a lot of attention. I'm going to talk about Thomas DiLorenzo. Um, look at that title, Lincoln on Mast, What You're Not Supposed to Know About Dishonest Abe. Um, if you'll turn the page, um, Epstein's book, The Lincolns, A Portrait of Marriage, uh, is, I'm going to be reading that when I go to Springfield tomorrow. Um, 
Doris Kearns Goodwin at kind of in the middle of the page, team of rivals. I think it's going to probably be a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, I, I, I consider it one of the really, really great books. Uh, Alan Gelzo, Lincoln and Douglas. In my opinion, that's the best book on the Lincoln-Douglas debates. If you ever, ever get a chance to hear Gelzo speak, jump in your car. He's a fantastic speaker and a great writer. Harold Holzer, um, Lincoln President-Elect, I've finished reading that. That's a very fine book. He's the co-chair of the National Abraham Lincoln Bicentennial. You see him also in the next book. Um, Fred Kaplan, I haven't read it yet, Lincoln, the biography of a writer. He's the, he's the well-known uh, uh, Samuel Clemens uh, author, probably has done the best. Down to the bottom, Cranowitter, Tom, uh, one of you said that you recently took some instruction with him and heard him and gave him high marks. Just know that on February 18th, he's going to be here in Grand Rapids at 7 p.m. in the evening. He's going to be doing a, a debate with another person. Here's his book, Vindicating Lincoln. Obviously, it's a response to the revisionist interpretation of Lincoln. And, uh, it, it's going to be, I think, at Grand Valley. If it's not at Grand Valley, it will be at the Gerald Ford uh, Presidential Museum. They partner so much that I'm not sure. Heather, do you know where it is? Okay, literature's out there on the table, but uh, then the bottom one is a brand new book that pay attention to uh, Looking for Lincoln. Uh, the Cunarts own, they've inherited one of the greatest Lincoln collections, if not the greatest Lincoln collection <coughs> that any individual put together. Frederick Hill Meserve put together a huge, huge collection, and they are descendants, and this new book is, is going to kind of share many of the wonderful things in this great collection. Uh, I've got a copy of that ordered and I'm anxious to see it. Uh, second one down on the third page, Brian Lamb, you know that name, uh, but Abraham Lincoln, great American historians and our 16th president. What they've done is they've taken 56 tapes of various historians that have been on C-SPAN and uh, that's what this book is about and I bought it, anxious to read it. Uh, Lehrman, Lincoln at Peoria, a wonderful book. I've had a chance to read that. I'll talk more about Michael Lind, what Lincoln believed. Uh, former presidential candidate George McGovern has written uh, a short history of Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if you're all familiar with Time Life series on presidents. They run about 150 pages and I think they're really well done. I'm back to trying to read as much as you can about as many people and not read a book that's a thousand pages long. Uh, I'm buying every one and it's my goal to read every one and I think I've read about 90% of them. I think they're really good and I think McGovern did a pretty good job and uh, it might surprise you that he's got a PhD in history. Um, William Lee Miller uh, down the President Lincoln, the duty of a statesman uh, he's a professor at the University of Virginia. I highly recommend that book. Uh, he also wrote, wrote a book on uh, Lincoln, an ethical biography. Uh, I've got one out of order where it, there's a line underneath William Lee Miller's name, Tried by War. That's James McPherson. Uh, I hope you know James McPherson. He's written the best single volume on the Civil War, The Battle Cry of Freedom. This is his brand new book, Tried by War. 
Abraham Lincoln as a Commander-in-Chief. I read that. That's really a great book. Um, turning the page, partway down, Richard Striner, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln's Relentless Struggle to End Slavery. I've had a chance to read that. That's a fine book. Couple down, Craig Simmons, Lincoln and his Admirals. If you don't know Simmons' name, he's Professor Emeritus at the U.S. Naval Academy. Uh, when it comes to the Civil War, he's the best uh, historian on the naval history. I haven't read it, but I have it, and I'm anxious uh, to read that. Uh, a little farther down, uh, Willenitz, Sean Willenitz, the best American history essays on Lincoln. This is produced by the Organization of American Historians, and I brought it along, and this is something that you ought to get in your library because what they've done is pull together what's considered some of the best writing on Lincoln in article form. And uh, many of the people on the list are kind of a Hall of Fame writers. It's a paper bound, doesn't cost much. Uh, I haven't read it, but it, it's on my uh, reading list. Near the bottom, Ron, Ronald C. White, A. Lincoln. Um, James McPherson, who had Ronald White as a graduate student, thinks this is going to be the best one volume on Lincoln. Uh, I don't know if any of you have heard or read Ron, Ron White's book on the second inaugural. It's just a classic book. Uh, he's a, a professor uh, in, in California, uh, and uh, we had him in to uh, speak in Lansing a while ago. He's just terrific. Uh, then down at the bottom, the work of Doug Wilson and, and Rod Davis ought to deserve your attention. So that's a quick look at many of the new books that are out. Now, let's talk about how do you and I decide? How, how, can, how can I stand up here and proclaim to know that much about Lincoln and that much about the literature that I can say <coughs> this, I think, is one of the great books to read? Well, there are a lot of ways that you and I gain that knowledge. I mentioned Jay Monahan's bibliography. Here's another one written by Paul Engel, who was a, a well-respected Lincoln scholar. And this was done in 1946, and it says, A Shelf of Lincoln Books. So when we know who the author is and what their credentials is and what their reputation is, that probably influences most of us. Uh, or it does. It certainly does me, and I guess I would encourage that that might be the case for you also. I brought along a little pamphlet. I'm, <clears throat> I'm sure that many of you are aware that uh, the Lincoln Life Insurance Company had a wonderful museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and gained quite a reputation. Very unfortunately, it has just closed and I'm not sure what's happening to all the manuscripts and the books and the artifacts. Um, I'm sure somebody's going to buy it, but they produced this guide to starting a Lincoln library. Uh, and again, I consider the source a fine institution that specializes on Lincoln. Their scholars and advisors are saying, "Here's if you, if you want to start a Lincoln library, here are the books that ought to be in your library. Then I brought along <clears throat> If you're not familiar with the Abraham Lincoln Encyclopedia by Mark Neely. Uh, Mark Neely is now at the University of uh, Pennsylvania. He's been at a number of universities and he once was the director of the, the Lincoln Museum and Library at Fort Wayne. 
Mark Neely won the Pulitzer Prize uh, for <clears throat> for one of his books, and uh, I've gotten to know Mark, and again, he's one of the persons that if you ever get a chance to speak to him, listen to him speak, you got to be there because he's not only going to give you a great message, but he's one whale of a speaker. But what he does in here is he plays the role as your graduate professor, and you've just taken a course, and at the end of each one of his entries, he sa he has a little bit of a bibliography. So here's here's I'm just picking this out. His section is on law practice, and at the bottom he says, the best study of Lincoln legal mind and practice, and he tells you what he believes as a distinguished Lincoln scholar. If you want to learn about Lincoln's law practice, here's a couple of books that ought to be at the top of your list. So all of these ways are ways that you and I begin to decide what's the best stuff on Lincoln, and if we're going to read, what should we be reading, and what should we be pretty confident in the interpretation. But beyond that, as you would expect, in many books there is a bibliography, but what I find more recently is that authors only include endnotes. Well, they obviously must think those endnotes, those sources are good sources, but it's not quite the same as an annotated bibliography. And here are some examples. Uh, again, if you look at William C. Harris, I mentioned his book on that last list, Lincoln's Rise to the Presidency, he has an extensive uh, bibliographic essay uh, that's a great source of this. He's a, a, he's a professor emeritus at North Carolina State University and is highly regarded. I mentioned Mark Neely. He won the Pulitzer Prize for his book, The Last Best Hope of Earth, Abraham Lincoln and the Promise of America. Mark Neely, again, has uh, a bibliography f that is helpful. And then I've, I've really touted William Lee Miller and his book, Lincoln's Virtues and Ethel an Ethical uh, Biography, has uh, some good information also, as well as David Donald's little tiny book called Lincoln, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Then uh, many, many people today say, well, let's go on the internet and look. Well, the internet is fine, but all of us know that for the most part, those, that material on the internet may not be vetted. Uh, it may not be validated. And that's being the former director of the Michigan Department of History, Arts, and Libraries, I loved what we had in Mel, Michigan E-Library, because all the databases and all the books and so forth had been vetted by reference librarians. So you had a pretty good idea that it must be respectable material. But despite what I've just said, you can go on the internet and you can download what the suggestions are from the Library of Congress. Well, that's a pretty credible source. And again, if I can call on my able assistant to help me, I want to uh, pass out two more things. You'll take that, and I'll give you another one in a minute.
Now again, I'm sure most of us would say if the Library of Congress recommends it, I'm going to put some stock in that. And uh, this, this is just an excellent resource guide, and it isn't overwhelming. Uh, I didn't count up how many things are on the list, so they've been very, very selective. But <clears throat> you just start down through it, and, and the first thing to underscore is Roy Bassler, editor of the Collected Works of Abraham Lincoln, eight volumes and an index. My personal goal is to read it all, and I've now finished five volumes. It's all of the letters that we know that Lincoln wrote. Um, and, and they're all in there and all, they're all annotated and uh, it's wonderful to go back to the primary uh, source material. Then go all the way down to the bottom, Don E. Fehrenbacher, uh, he's passed away but he was a former distinguished professor at Stanford University and when you see the name Fehrenbacher pick it up because it's really good. Then. Then on the second page, they, they share with us what the Library of Congress thinks are the best biographies of Lincoln. And you can see, and I'll, I'll come back to this, but uh, Carl Weindine is up first, and David Donald, and Gilnap, who was, he, he's passed away. He was a professor at Harvard. But down in the middle, Reinhard Luthen. I have not read this, but I hear over and over again this book being recommended. Uh, Stephen Oates, down a little bit further and the last three on the list uh, Paludin, Randall, Carl Sandburg um, and then then they go into on the page three selected works or facets of Lincoln's life and give you an idea of some of the good books. Uh, Gene Baker, uh, Mary Todd Lincoln is considered the best biography of the president's wife. I don't know how Catherine Clinton's new book is going to rank with that. But you see David Donald again. David Donald is a huge name, Professor Emeritus at Harvard. There's Fehrenbacher, Prelude to Greatness, terrific book. Doris Kearns Goodwin, we've already talked about that. I'm going to talk about George Fredrickson's book, Big Enough to Be Inconsistent, in a moment. I've already mentioned Alan Gelzo with the best book on the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Turn the page. Top of the page, Harold Holzer, Lincoln at Cooper Union. One of the really great new books. Highly recommended. I've already mentioned McPherson. I've already mentioned Miller. Uh, in the middle of the page, Merle D. Peterson. Haven't read it, but high, high regard for Lincoln in American memory. Uh, I've, I've mentioned Ron White's book, Lincoln's Greatest Speech. Gary Wills, Lincoln at Gettysburg, won the Pulitzer Prize. Gary Wills is from Adrian in our state. He teaches at Northwestern. He is fluent in seven languages. Uh, just had a chance uh, to meet him. Uh, again, won the Pulitzer Prize for Lincoln at Gettysburg. Lincoln's sword and honors voice. Uh, Doug Wilson, the, he won the Lincoln Prize for both of these books, $50,000 for each of those books. And I just talked to Doug, I'm gonna bring him to Michigan, and he's just been asked to chair the jury for future winners of the Lincoln Prize. Uh, couldn't recommend Honor's Voice or Lincoln's Sword more to you. Haven't read Kenneth Winkle's book, The Young Eagle, but it's getting high, high regard. And that's kind of a good run through on that. Now pick up the sheet, other recommended works on Lincoln. <clears throat> I started out talking about Lincoln day by day. Uh, highly regarded, I've, sh I've held up Mark Neely's Abraham Lincoln Encyclopedia. Um, 
Michael Burlingame. We'll talk more about him. The third one down is one we ought to mention, and that's David Mears' book, The Lincoln Papers. These are all letters that were written by Lincoln, and we'll talk about this a little more, but when Lincoln died, uh, Robert Todd, his oldest son, gathered up all of this material, and he embargoed it because he didn't want people who were living to read what they had written or other people to know what they had been written. So it was not released until 1947, and uh, it was published in, in two volumes. Then there's some other biographies that weren't on the previous list. Albert Beveridge, highly regarded, Lawanda Cox, Lincoln, and Black Freedom. Uh, David Donald's uh, biography of Lincoln's Herndon is highly regarded. Benjamin Quarles, Lincoln and the Negro. Um, there are, that's also a document that if you want to pursue it further, I think it offers some good help. Okay. <clears throat> Another way that I make a judgment as to whether or not the material is good, I read book reviews. And it depends on who's doing the reviewing. If I've never heard of the reviewer, then I have a question mark. And I ask a question, and I hope it doesn't mean that I'm an intellectual snob or something. But if you don't have any credential, it's tough to read or review something that somebody that's a scholar. I've done some reviewing of books. And uh, I really did, in some cases, really had to do some homework before I was ready to say uh, what I thought of the book. And uh, there is a tendency outside of the scholastic world, I think, to sugarcoat uh, reviews. And uh, people write reviews and all they do is talk about the content. They don't make any judgment about the research, its presentation, the quality, and so forth. So I think book reviews, and depending on who's doing the reviewing. On the back of books, there are, it's very common now, as you know, to have blurbs on the back of the book. And I read those also. Who is endorsing the book? Uh, <clears throat> when James McPherson puts his name on the dust jacket, he would never do that if he thought it was a lousy book. He just would not do that. As, as small as I am in that continuum as a scholar, I'm not putting my name on it either. And quite often, presses send me manuscripts and want me to read them and evaluate them. And I get paid for doing that. But I'm not going to recommend somebody's manuscript that I think is poorly done because I don't want my name saying Anderson recommended it. Well, now you get up to this level, which is just short of bumping your head on heaven, uh, so he writes a book, and who are the people that are endorsing it? David McCullough wrote Adams, okay? Wrote the greatest biography of Truman, wrote 70, 1776, a wonderful book. Well, he puts his name on it. He's not going to do that. He absolutely will not endorse the book. The next one, David Herbert Donald. He puts his name on this book. It's got to say something. The next one, Doug Wilson that I just mentioned. Next one, Ron White. Next one, Lewis Learman. Okay? And they all are trumpeting this small book about Lincoln. Uh, and, you know, it's not very much money. Pick it up. And $12.95. It's a great short read. And I know how busy all of you are as teachers. Well, with what I'm saying... Reviews, blurbs, uh, look at who's writing the forward. 
uh, I've now gotten to write some forwards. Well, I'm not going to write a forward for a book that I don't think is good because my name is going on it and I hope that my word has some credibility or else somebody, well, Anderson is so anxious to get his name in print, he'll write a forward for anybody's book. He'll write a blurb for anybody's book. And it looks to me like this ought to go in the trash or shouldn't go in any public school library. So my point is, does this just an old boys club? Just a bunch of guys, you scratch my back? I don't think so. I think those writers about Lincoln who have really established a reputation and have stood the criticism and the test of time represent the deans of the literature. And I urge you to think about that and pay attention to what they say. And you'll find that many of them were educated by other great scholars. David Donald, where'd he go? University of Illinois, studied under uh, James Garfield Randall. Richard Curran, big name in history. Where'd he go to school? University of Illinois, not just the University of Illinois, but who did he study with? Who influenced him? And all of you as teachers, you know how much influence you have. People ask me, why do I love history? Where was my inspiration? From my teachers, and I can name them and I talk about them, and, and students are doing the same thing about you. And so many of these great scholars studied and did research and were, and were mentored by a great Lincoln scholar, and it's just not snobbery. It's not just, where did you get your degree from? We're not talking about where you got your degree from. It's who you had an opportunity to study with. When I thought that I was going to be a PhD in history and teach at the university, I wanted to go to LSU because T. Harry Williams was a professor there and my interest is the Civil War and like many of you along came a little person in my family and I said I gotta go to work I can't go to graduate school at well it may be interesting to you to think about who were the first people to write biographies of Abraham Lincoln and the book that I had a moment ago right here all in here by Paul Engel, and let me just read them quickly, and it'll be interesting, I think. Joshua Holland wrote a book called The Life of Abraham Lincoln. Who was he? He was the co-editor of a newspaper in Springfield, Massachusetts, and then became uh, a, an editor of Scribner's, a very famous periodical. The next, and that was 1866, one year after Lincoln died. The next one came out in 1872. That was written by Ward Hill Lehman. And he was an Illinois lawyer, a friend of Lincoln, and he was the marshal, in other words, the chief of police of Washington, D.C. The next one was Isaac N. Arnold, The Life of Abraham Lincoln, 1885. He was a lawyer, an Illinois congressman, and a close friend and supporter of Lincoln. The next was William H. Herndon, who was, of course, Lincoln's last law partner, and he wrote his book in 1889. Herndon's Lincoln, The True Story of a Great Life. Nicolay and Hay, John Nicolay and John Hay, both secretaries to Lincoln, wrote a 10-volume biography of Abraham Lincoln. Pretty highly regarded. And then, but the point that I wanted to make of all of those early biographies, what's the commonality? They all knew Lincoln. They were all supporters of Lincoln. And that doesn't mean that there aren't any good but as you and I, as readers and students, know that they probably had a hard time being totally objective. Uh, can you imagine if anybody in this room said, oh yeah, 
uh, I've lived longer than Methuselah, and I went to school with Lincoln. Uh, and it'd be hard to say, well, I'm really objective. All right. I've already mentioned the collective works of Lincoln, the eight volumes. <clears throat> if you're really a serious student, and I know how busy you are as, as public school teachers, but to have a little bit of an opportunity to taste some of Lincoln by actually reading what he wrote is quite a joy. Have we exhausted the subject of Lincoln? Well, <clears throat> believe it or not, through the years we continue to discover new material. I mentioned the Robert Todd Lincoln collection. Just imagine, his oldest son grabs up everything uh, from Lincoln's office and it, it's, it's stored in Bloomington, Illinois. It's embargoed and the scholars are you know, when James Garfield Randall did the first volume, he had no access to it. And, and he knows that there may well be some terrific material that's going to change our interpretation. So in 1947, everybody, Carl Sandburg, when, when he did Lincoln the Warriors, which came out in 1939, he knew what was there, but he couldn't get his hands on it. And in his letters, he said, oh, would I ever, you know, I don't know. I've written now six volumes on Lincoln. Did I get it right? But there's a whole body of information that I didn't get to look at. Well, that's not all. Uh, in 1990, scholars in Illinois said, you know, we don't know enough about Lincoln's great uh, law career, legal career. And they started, they put together a great big team, and they went to every courthouse that Lincoln practiced law in. And man, did they find a treasure trove they found a hundred thousand documents and I'm sure there were some that lost because many courthouses do a lousy job of preserving and being preservationists of records but they got over a hundred thousand documents that documented five thousand civil, civil and criminal cases that Lincoln was involved in in his 25-year law career that's all now on CD-ROM that we can access Again, the great historian biographer David Donald wrote, if you want to get into the question of how Abraham Lincoln was prepared for greatness, you have to look at his legal career. Well, this wasn't, this wasn't published until the year 2000, so everybody that wrote before didn't have access to that. Now, did it turn the apple cart upside down? No, it didn't, but there was valuable material that changed part of the interpretation. For a long time, Lincoln was really not getting his due as a lawyer. But in reality, he was one of the greatest lawyers in Illinois. And it was, as Donald said, tremendous preparation for what he did in the rest of his life. Do you think his career as a lawyer helped him in the Lincoln-Douglas debates? Wow, you know, because in a sense, there's a quite a bit of debate that goes on in the courtroom in front of a jury. Well, that's not all either. This guy, Michael Burlingame, who I just mentioned, a uh, professor emeritus at Connecticut College. Uh, I remember hearing him speak 10 years ago, and he was talking about doing a new biography. And at that time, I'm saying, yeah, another biography. And he said, there's going to be a lot of new material. Well, he was digging it up. And what he was doing was really researching all of Lincoln's secretaries. And, he, and Lincoln had four of them. And here's an example, a book that's entitled Lincoln's Journalist, John Hay's Anonymous Writings for the Press, 1860 to 1864. He had done so much research on John Hay 
and John Nicolay and Noah Brooks that he was able to discern that a whole bunch of anonymous pieces that were written during the Civil War were written by Lincoln's secretary. And he concludes that some of what John Hay was getting in there anonymously was probably written by Abraham Lincoln. And he concludes that these two secretaries being so close to Lincoln and with him so often really almost were a mouthpiece. In other words, they understood what Lincoln's attitudes were that he was saying with with no press around, making notes and so forth. And so it becomes a valuable new source. Something that had been passed over all this time. Who's this guy writing? <laughs> He's John Hay that's writing all this in Burlingame then has come out with several books that you'll see that are all on this topic of what these secretaries were writing. And I'm sure that when we read uh, his new book, we're going to see lots of reference. Well, what's the evolution of opinion in terms of what's the best single volume uh, to read a biography of Lincoln? For a long, long time, it was a book written by Benjamin Thomas. He was the executive secretary of the Abraham Lincoln Association. The book came out in 1850, uh, came out in 1952. Highly regarded book, still highly regarded, but it was the book that everybody would say, if you're going to read one book, read Benjamin Thomas. Then comes along Stephen Oates, and he's a professor at the University of Massachusetts in a book called With Malice Toward None. Just a great book, and now historians are saying this is the best biography, but terribly Stephen Oates really has uh, been taken down a notch because researchers have said that he plagiarized portions of it. And the guy who was leading the Lincoln Legal Project was a guy named Cullum Davis, and he was the first whistleblower. It's a great book. Uh, if, if he did not give credit a few times, don't discount the book. Uh, that's something that's a bad deal if that's actually the case and of course we don't have we don't have jury trials and decide that it's other people's opinion uh, but I would highly recommend it. Now David Donald uh, 1995 book simply titled Lincoln is considered the very best and as I mentioned James McPherson says that Ron White's book A. Lincoln is going to supersede it because he's got new material and I assume he's thinking about uh, uh, Burlingame's research. What are the best uh, multi-volume books? I've already mentioned Nicola and Hay, the 10 volumes, 1890. On the list was Albert Beveridge. His, he wrote two volumes and it deals only with Lincoln's early life. But they're highly regarded, published in 1828. Early uh, two-volume work done by William Barton. He was a Congregationalist minister, was not uh, a trained historian. Carl Sandburg, even though he uh, uh, gets jabbed and criticized that uh, sometimes he hadn't done his adequate enough research, uh, of course Sandburg was a poet and uh, wrote with great eloquence. And you know, history is really a combination of science and art, uh, scientific in terms of its exploration and, and an art form and how you express it. And of course, if you take Carl Sandburg, he's going to tip much more to how he writes and not so good maybe on on his research and he he probably wasn't as scrutinizing as he should have been about some of his sources it was a good story so I'm going to write it in there and and as you know in the classroom you have to teach you have to teach it but you have to tell a good story to really excite students in the same way with books and for a long time 
the best books written by scholars were only read by other graduate students. The general public did not read that stuff coming out of the academy. But today, even the best scholars really know how to write, and they tell a great story. But Sandberg won the Pulitzer Prize for his four-volume Lincoln. Um, and then there's a new guy out, and I don't know anything about him other than he's not an academic. Richard Lawrence Miller, uh, two, two volumes, Lincoln and his world, the early years, second volume, Lincoln and his world, the prairie politician, takes him through 1942, which tells me he's going to write a multi-volume. Uh, I bought the two volumes, I'm going to be reading it, and I'm going to be talking to some real scholars uh, to see what they think. Well, Lincoln has been dissected so many times that we now have books on many of his speeches. Uh, he did a, a significant speech at Peoria in, in 1854. Brand new book came out last year on that. He made a speech in Bloomington that none of the, re the reporters apparently were so enamored with Lincoln's speech that they didn't take notes. And so it's called The Lost Speech. But there is a book entitled Lincoln's Lost Speech that was written in 1856. Then I've, then I've referenced his speech at Cooper Union. Uh, that speech was given in 1860 in February in New York. Harold Holzer's book, great, uh, great book. There are two different books written on the second inaugural. Ron, Wright, Ron White has written one, and there are several books written about the Gettysburg Address. Doesn't that tell you something? You're a famous American, but now they're writing more than one book about one speech. I'm hoping one of you will write a book about this speech I'm giving today. I'll be so pleased. <laughs> another, way, uh, another way to <clears throat> appreciate the literature is don't forget the journals. Uh, the Lincoln Journal is the journal of the Abraham Lincoln Association, and if I recall right, this association was created in 1908. So any association that hangs in that long says a lot about the interest in it, and there's really some good stuff. The Lincoln Herald uh, comes out of uh, Lincoln Memorial University in Tennessee. Uh, would recommend both of these. And, uh, and another way is to look at who's on the editorial board, and you'll once again see those major scholars giving credibility because they're not going to select some article that's slipshod uh, and publish it in. Well, now let's talk about revisionist history and who are the biggest detractors of Abraham Lincoln. And I can see that I've got about 11 minutes, so if I talk fast, it'll be for that purpose. The first guy who really took on Abraham Lincoln was Edgar Lee Masters in a book called Lincoln the Man, published in 1931. I don't know if you know that name, but Edgar Lee Masters was from Illinois. He was a poet himself. He's famous for something called the Spoon River Anthology. And he really decided to knock Lincoln off his pedestal. And here's part of what he wrote. And he really starts out criticizing the Gettysburg Address. Now, that takes some guts, right? <clears throat> but he did. He said, the Gettysburg or oration remains a prose poem but in the inferior sense that one must not inquire into its truth. And he goes on to talk about the untruths in the Gettysburg Address. It's untrue that our fathers in 1776 had brought forth a new nation, for in that year our fathers brought forth 13 new nations, each of which was a sovereign state. Sounds like John C. Calhoun and states' rights. Therefore, the war was not testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated could long endure. 
Lincoln dared not face the facts at Gettysburg. He had so long duped his own mind with the falsely formed judgments of his early and inadequate thinking and reading that he was unable to deal realistically with the history of his country. Okay? I won't keep going, but that gives you a little flavor. Uh, and I might add, his book didn't sell real well. <laughs> the next person that really took on Lincoln was Lerone Bennett in a book entitled Forced into Glory, Lincoln's Dream, Lincoln's White Dream. Uh, Lerone Bennett is, uh, was, an, was an editor of Ebony Magazine. He writes, the basic idea is simple. Everything you think about Lincoln and race is wrong. Every school child, for example, knows the story of the great emancipator who freed Negroes with a stroke of a pen out of the goodness of his heart. The real Lincoln was a conservative politician who, who said repeatedly that he believed in white supremacy. Not only that, he opposed the basic principle of the Emancipation Proclamation until his death and was literally forced into glory of having issued the Emancipation Proclamation which Lincoln drafted in such a way that it did not in itself free a single slave. The third person that's, and there, and there are others, I don't mean to just, but I'm trying to give you some illustration that not everyone, not all the scholars, all the writers are in love with Abraham Lincoln. Michael Lind, what Lincoln believed, the values and convictions of America's greatest president. Those of you who heard me in my earlier presentation, I confess that it is difficult for me to read somebody that really bashes Lincoln, which tells you on one hand that I'm biased Lincoln, but I'm proud of being biased Lincoln. I'm convinced that he was a really good guy and that he was our greatest president. And uh, I made the reference to the fact that I like to read before I go to bed, which I assume some of you do. I find that getting me ready to go to sleep. I, I'm lost no matter what my troubles are, or what I, what's heavy on my mind, I get lost in the story and so forth. Well, I just finished reading Michael Lind, and I must tell you that I stopped reading him before I went to bed because I couldn't go to sleep. I was so cranked up. I, I was ready to write him a letter because it's the most acidic book about Lincoln that I've read. Here's, a, here's why I got Bill Anderson at least stirred up. He writes, for Lincoln, as for most free soilers, the purpose of preventing the extension of slavery to the territories was to keep the white to keep the West white. In other words, it was not what Lincoln maintained, and I believe that he wanted to put slavery on the route of ultimate extinction. And one way is to stop the spread of it. And why didn't he just abolish slavery? Because he didn't think he had any legal authority to just, and he didn't. And you can imagine what would have happened if he would have tried it. He probably would have been impeached. But this guy says, uh-uh, the real reason was he wanted to make sure that the new states in the West were all white. Now, what can we, I need to take this issue on because there's nothing that Lincoln gets uh, challenged on more than the issue of emancipation and race. Yes, you have to first say that Lincoln believed in colonization. Lincoln doubted whether or not a white racist majority, men we're talking about, would ever accept free blacks generally. He doubted the ability of those people, all of the people, to amalgamate whites, so amalgamate free blacks. So he was in favor of colonization. Maybe they would have a better life. Yes, 
in terms of the way we use the term racist today, we conclude that Lincoln was a racist. Um, you also have to conclude that Lincoln distinguished between what you and I would say natural rights and civil rights. Lincoln's basic premise was the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal. That's a natural right, and he stood on that ground. But was Lincoln a leader of civil rights, that they, he thought that uh, freed blacks were his equal uh, in every respect? Uh, other than being human? Did he believe they ought to have the vote and, and so forth? Well, uh, did he believe that women ought to have the vote? No. Did, did uh, the white uh, majority think that women ought to have the vote? No, they didn't. Um, what, what concerns me most with Lynn and some of these others is that they've really taken Lincoln out of context. I believe when you look at people's attitude, you put them along a continuum. So let's take the issue of slavery. If we were putting the issue of slavery and uh, equal rights on a continuum in 1861, we would have the abolitionists on the left, <clears throat> and we would have the white supremacists on the right. And I believe Lincoln would probably be somewhere in the middle. And that's the way it is for many of us on other things that we have strong feelings about. If somebody says, Bill Anderson, you're a conservative, my conservatism is somewhere along the continuum, right? Because uh, if we were doing that today in politics, we would have the most conservative being the religious right, I think. And then we would have people who are extremely liberal way over on the left, right? And when candidates run for the president, they first try to distinguish themselves from the other candidates. But as the election gets closer, they come closer to the middle because that's where the majority of people's opinion is and they become more centrist. Well, how, do, are we born a conservative and a liberal? Are we born a racist? Uh, are we born a member of the religious right? I don't think so, but we start out somewhere probably influenced by our surroundings and our parents and so forth and through our life experiences I believe most of us move some. Uh, we, may, we may move to one extreme, but I think most of us probably move closer to the center through our life experiences. So my, my take is that Lincoln, first and foremost, even though I've said yes, he was a racist, he was not an advocate of equal rights, he did not believe that freed blacks were his equal other than being a human being. He thought they were his equal, that they deserved to uh, enjoy the fruits of their labor and all of that. I believe Lincoln was looking for a solution to the emancipation of slaves that the white racist majority would buy. And the people who were his opponents, William Seward and Solomon Chase, were more abolitionists than Lincoln, but they couldn't get elected in 1861 because their position was too extreme on the question of slavery. And I believe without a civil war, no abolitionist could have been elected president for the next hundred years because the white majority would, would never support them in that. The last book in this regard is one written by Tom DiLorenzo. And I've only read parts of it, but I've read the reviews. And wow, does he take a whipping. And his book is called Lincoln Unmasked, What You're Not Supposed to Know About Dishonest Abe. And let me read just a little section. He's talking about his professor who uh, 
spoke about Lincoln, and he was uh, categorized as being anti-Lincoln. And, he, and his name was Bradford. That's why that name will come up. Things have not changed much in the academic world since the Bradford affair. I have been subject to name-calling, as has anyone else who attempts to deviate from the official truth. Okay, all of those scholars that I mentioned, he suggests that they're all part of a Lincoln cult. Okay? Lincoln has been portrayed as a saint, and his defenders are so sacrimonious that they consider themselves to be self-appointed gatekeepers of the truth. They do whatever is necessary to keep unflattering information about Lincoln from the public. If they do dare to mention such facts, they spin their statements to mislead, misinform, and confuse the reader. One has to wonder, what purpose does all this deception and misinformation serve? If Lincoln was such a saint, why can't his record speak for himself? Well, the conclusion is that for a long time there were way too many apologists for Lincoln. They were sugarcoating Lincoln, but that day is long past. You read any good biography and they will point out Lincoln's warts and his deficiencies. He was not a perfect human being and there were areas where he was was vulnerable and uh, so DiLorenzo has been reading the wrong stuff and drinking the wrong tea. <laughs> I hope that this presentation uh, is a little bit helpful as you think about this vast literature of Lincoln and if you are trying to make a decision what to read, I hope maybe one of those bibliographies you'll tuck it away and say, well, maybe that's what I ought to read and probably not spend much time with Thomas DiLorenzo. <laughs> Thank you.